This is Africa Emerging Podcast with your host, Tutu Adamola. We're set to showcase the unique contributions of influential Africans living in the developed economies who, against all odds, have made indelible marks in their respective professions around the world. Join me as we shape this new narrative. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode five of the Africa Emerging podcast. My guest on the show today is Tommy Edwards. She is the founder of Eventbrae, a tech startup company in the event industry here in the United Kingdom. She is also the co-founder of Tedbury Digital. In this part of the show, she shared her passion for entrepreneurship and how she managed her parents' business even from a young age. We also talked about various moments in our life journey through different careers and achieving our goals. We talked about that light bulb moment when she spotted the gap in the event industry here in the United Kingdom. Hence the reason why she started Eventbrae to solve that pain point. I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope you enjoy it like I did. Thank you to my dear friend, Tosi Okonlamo, for introducing me to Tommy Edwards. Without her, the interview might not have been possible. Thank you, Tommy Edwards, for joining on Africa Emerging today. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Okay. Can we get to know you? Um, my name is Tommy Edwards, and I'm the founder of Eventbrae, um, which is an event tech startup. And um, I recently founded Eventbrae, and we just kind of started in July 2018. And however, from July 2016, I've been working on the idea, and I've been nursing the idea. Apart from Eventbrae, I'm a mom of two. I've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old, and a loving husband as well, who's quite supportive. I'm also a serial entrepreneur and I really love anything digital and that's pretty much my space. Okay, great great to know that. So obviously currently you live here in, in the UK. When did you relocate to the UK and what was your background before coming to the UK? So I left the Nigeria. So I'm originally from Nigeria. I pretty much um, did all my adult, pretty much young and adult age in Nigeria. I left Nigeria when I was 21 okay. and I moved to the UK to come in here and pretty much seek greener pastures. I came in initially as a student studying accountancy, trying to get my ACCA done. And I quickly realized that it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. And I came out of that and just pretty much followed other journeys. So my story is particularly different from normal way people come and do the university, they start, they finish, they get a job. My story is completely different from the norm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I get it. So when, obviously, you lived in Nigeria before you decided to come and do your ACC here in the, in the UK, so did you plan that, well, after my ACC year, this was what I was going to do, or things led one thing to another, then, it, then you found yourself going into doing starting event break? So, okay, so for me, I think, I think it's fair to give you like a background to how all this pretty much started and how I ended up becoming an entrepreneur. It all started in Nigeria, to be fair. And um, I was 16 when my mom um, got a job in America. And she had to leave and travel to America. Um, at the age of 16, it's, this is where you are trying to, you just finished high school. 
and you're then trying to get into university. So you've got like that one year break where you're trying to um, wait at home and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So my mom is a midwife. She works for the local government in Lagos. And she also has a supermarket and a water bagging business, which is the pure water business. Mm -hmm. So she had to leave all that to me and for me to manage while she traveled. And while she also has that, my dad, who is an engineer, also has a business center and a bathing saloon as well. So all these four businesses were located in the same building. Mm-hmm. And my dad goes to work morning to uh, evening. And my mom was away. So I was managing all these four businesses. And I had 14 staff to manage. And I think that was where my managerial skills and my entrepreneurship kind of started. because I had the task of making sure that I was able to um, not only understand stock taking, but making sure I was able to replenish the stock when they're going down in terms of the supermarket, bargaining with suppliers, um, ensuring that the customer service given in the bargain salon is top-notch, ensuring that we're following all the due diligence in terms of the uh, water bagging, uh, um, what's it called, business, ensuring that um, the number of demand and the supplier were able to meet them um, equally and even exceed expectations and get her new customers in the process. So it was pretty much a whole doing all that. Being the only girl as well in my family means that not only do I have to do all this, I also have to ensure that the family is fed. So I pretty much took on a motherly role at that sort of age. And um, as at that time, initially, I thought, oh, this is so unfair. But later on, I started seeing the advantages to it. I saw I was more in control. I saw I could take charge. I saw my leadership skills go off the roof. I saw my, my managerial skills. Everything really happened at that time. So when it was time for me to then get into uni, I realized that my entrepreneurship skills have already been born. So I looked at what I could do. While I was in um, Unilag, I was able to get belts. So there was this belt that all the ladies had, multicolored belts. I sourced a good supplier, was selling to them, was making money. Um, I realized that the busy women in the bank, they wanted the African textiles and they couldn't find the, they didn't have the time to go to the market to get it. So I realized that it was cheaper if I go to Benin Republic um, by bus to go buy that and I come back in and I make double the profit. So, and then I'll give all that to them. At the end of the month, when they get their salaries, they will all pay me. Then I'll go again. I'll, so I started with 50, uh, we call them Ankara. And I went into 100 and I went to, and pretty much I was doing that. I was doing, and I was still studying. So I'm saying I've been an entrepreneur since I can remember. And then coming into the UK, uh, my coming into the UK was something that was, is a different story on its own. It's like going to take this whole podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we had his own encounter. He had his own um, reasons why I had to come into the UK. But to cut the long story short, I came into the UK extremely determined, knowing that this is the place for me and um, all the opportunities that I couldn't get while I was in Nigeria, I'll be able to make make it happen here. And um, so I came in all fired up to take any opportunity I see and maximize it to the fullest. So, um, So in the UK... I started with accounting, like I said, um, studying. I quickly realized it wasn't for me. Then I got in a job as an insurance um, salesperson with uh, uh, AIG. And I was selling insurance. And from there, people 
were asking questions about mortgages. I've never heard what mortgages were. I researched into it. I understood what it was. I did the exams. I became um, someone who was a market broker. And from there, I realized, I quickly realized that during the, the, the down times of the financial industry, I realized that there are bigger things that you could do. And this was how I linked myself into business analysis. And I started working for um, the, the top investment banks and the insurance companies out there and really looking at their businesses, their processes, their systems and people and trying to understand what their existing problems are. Mm-hmm. and find the appropriate solutions to actually tackle those problems so it could align with their corporate strategy. So doing all that for these companies um, led me to actually um, being the business analyst that gathered requirements for some of the top products we have out there and um, led me to saying whenever I find a, a frustration that we have, I'm inclined to actually do my part by looking for digital solutions to actually solve it. So that led me to thinking of my first app, which was MultiDroppers. So MultiDroppers okay. is a logistic app. Mm-hmm. And basically the desktop app that pretty much bridges the gap when we, during the Christmas period. So we find like drivers and contractors for um, companies like FedEx, like UPS, DPD and co. And um, we pretty much find them the drivers and the vans and everything that they need to be able to supply um, deliver the parcels that they yeah. need to without them running the overhead of hiring staff for themselves. Okay. So that's really what that does. And um, Eventbrie is um, a totally different one. Yeah. And what brought me to Eventbrie was in 2010, I, um, I, I got married in 2008. However, I decided to celebrate it in 2010. Yeah. And, um, in celebrating it, I wanted a particular style of wedding, a particular type of wedding. Mm-hmm. And all the type of event planners that could fulfill that for me, their prices were a bit, uh, it's not much, but I just couldn't afford it. Yeah. So, um, and the ones I could afford couldn't share the dream. So I decided yeah. to plan my wedding myself. Wow. So that, yeah. <laughs> but I, in doing that, um, I, I had to uh, pretty much, I wanted fresh flowers all around. And this is just a fantasy for me. So mm-hmm. I had to wake up every morning, go to the Chelsea market around 4.30 because the market pretty much closes very early, like 6 or 6.30. Mm-hmm. So you have to get there like 5 to make sure. Then got introduced to the world of flowers, try to find a freelance florist that will put all of them together. Yeah. And then in terms of um, the venue, I wanted the city of London. So yeah. I got married on right beside Liverpool Street. which means that every vendor that you use has to be a preferred supplier, has to be on their list, has to follow some rules and regulations. Mm -hmm. In order to get those type of caterers or those type of vendors that could cater to the palate of my guests, Mm -hmm. I have to to call a friend of a friend of a friend to be able to get that particular thing. And that's why I saw that there is a big problem in this market. This is a market, but it's just difficult. But at that time, I wasn't prepared or probably equipped to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And then in 2016, I got another opportunity yeah. for me to actually then do something for a friend. Yeah. So uh, to plan something similar. And then I realized that the technology has moved further. There are actually yeah. now platforms that you can go to and actually say, oh, I need a cake and stuff. And then or you get bombarded with loads of quotations. Mm-hmm. So I 
in as much as they've tried to solve this, and they are probably still um, doing it's still better than when I got married. Yeah. But it's, I still think it could be simpler. Yeah. And that was where Eventbri was born. Was born, yeah. So just to take you quickly, quickly back, because obviously it's quite an in- interesting conversation so far. So you having that entrepreneurship skills, obviously that is something you've got inside of you because as a family, you already had your mom into, into business, your dad into business. At a young age of 16, you're already involved in taking responsibility, you know, giving people roles and making sure things was done properly. So that's, yeah. that's absolutely a good background helping you that way. And you coming into, obviously explaining how you did come into the UK, moving, starting your ACCA, going into being a mortgage broker, then going into um, business analysis as well. And obviously, you know, the, the one striking thing which you just mentioned as we were have, uh, having the conversation, um, you working in that industry as, as an analyst, you were able to use what you learned there to leap you to the next level, I'm sure, to start Eventbrae because... I want to believe that your experience being a business analyst has really helped you on the tech side of things. Yes, I'll say that. I'll say my experience being a business, but even prior to being a business analyst, I'm mm-hmm. always someone that's quite inquisitive and I love learning. Mm-hmm. I, I extremely love learning, but I don't like when it's, I'm one of those sort of people that four years is too long. I don't mm-hmm. get it. Why do you have to go to university for four years? I don't understand that. So I, I like short doses of things. Yeah. So with that, I pretty much learned a whole lot. And I've, found, I've been to Harvard to learn uh, product finance, cross-border innovation, to take me far and beyond the, mm-hmm. my way of thinking. Yeah. I've been to Cambridge to learn a little bit about law and mm-hmm. some contract law and things like that. I've been to Udacity to learn about tech entrepreneurship, to learn about pretty much how to scale your business, digital marketing. These are short, short things that are like six months, that are like this, that could then take you and you learn by doing. And those are kind of like the sort of projects that, uh, the sort of places mm-hmm. that I, that has helped me so far, along with my experience being a business analyst. So all those things that I've learned helped me in becoming a business analyst. And then being a business analyst and actually working on real life and big sized multi-million pound projects helped me in understanding exactly what is needed mm-hmm. to actually be able to uh, build my own product and, and be out there. Okay. Okay. So w- w- would you say, you know, your determination when you are coming into the UK is being a big, one of the big driving force to help you integrate quickly? What would you say help you? Because there are few people out there that, you know, they've probably been, they've migrated from Africa. They've been here in the UK or in the US, Canada, 10, 15, 20 years, and they're nowhere near what you've achieved so far. So what would you say is that big um, push that's helped you integrate quickly? I think it's a, it's a combination of things. The first thing is my faith is extremely, is something that drives me. And no matter how much I want to run away from it, I can't because it's, um, I am a faith-spirited person and um, that helps me. That helps me ground it. My determination without a shadow of a doubt and also knowing my self-worth. So I'll give you a good example. So there's no point in me explaining this without giving you a practical example of how I've used it. So when I came into this country, very funny, and uh, I went into a, a college, um, which, is, which was where they were meant to teach me how to do my ICCA and, and stuff like that. 
And um, I arrived two days late and I was told that the room I was meant to get has been given to somebody else. Now, I don't know anybody else in the UK. This is me arriving with my suitcase. Mm. So I had to try to get call my dad and my dad said, oh, you have a cousin, a big cousin, and she lives in the UK. So I was able to reach out to my cousin and she's a bigger cousin. And that's how um, she got me in. But she was, as at the time, she was into um, a, she, she was doing like cleaning jobs and stuff like that. And she got me into it. And for the first week, I went into that job, cleaning toilets in central London and doing stuff. My back was aching. Now, this is not me being proud or arrogant or anything. Just like, I'm just like, I didn't leave United, Nigeria. Mm. That I, I wasn't cleaning toilets yet. Yeah. I didn't leave Nigeria to come in here, to come and do this. I think I'm made for more. Yeah. And I tried to explain that to her. Like, I'm really sorry. I can't do this. She's like, they're not going to pay you. They should keep the money. It's not about the money. Mm-hmm. I think there are better things that I can do. I've not really finished exploring this place. So within the first week, I just quit the job. They still paid me. So I quit the job and uh, I then took a bus right from Elephant and Castle where we were living. I don't know anywhere, remember? Mm-hmm. The, bus, the bus was 452 and I got into that bus and I said, wherever this bus is ending, that is where I'm going to stop. Are you joking? I'm not joking. This is a real mistake. I got onto this bus and the bus stopped at Baker Street. Yeah. And I came down from Baker Street and I started walking, roaming the road in Baker Street for vacancies. And I saw a shop. It's called Das Entertainment. They're now closed. And they wrote in there, um, uh, what's it called? Sales assistance required. I'm like, bingo. So I went in there and i like, can I apply for this job? And they asked me, where is your CV? I don't have a CV. So I said, wait a minute, I'm coming. Because while I was working, there used to be Easy Cafe. That mm-hmm. time, if you remember, there was this Easy Jet. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. Cafe. So I ran to the Easy Cafe. I paid one pound and I created, I went on to Google. Was it Yahoo or Google that time? I don't even know. What does a CV look like? He told me. And I wrote what I could remember. I wrote all my experience doing the stuff for my mom, my dad, mm. put everything in there. And I went back to the lady like an hour later. This is the CV. And then she said, okay, you get a call. As I was going, I haven't even crossed over the road. I just got a call. Mm. And they said, the manager wants to see me in Victoria. I went back to the girl. How do I get to the Victoria? She said, take bus 82. These buses are significant in my journey. <laughs> <laughs> take bus 82. And it will take you to Victoria Station. When you get there, cross over, do this, do this. And that's how I took bus 82. Took me to Victoria Station. I had the interview. I got the job. Wow. Now, this job was paying half of the minimum wage, but you don't, you don't understand. It was not about the money. It was about the fact that I decided that I am made for better. Yeah. I don't want to be this person. I'm not saying that it's wrong. I have, cost, I have clients at the moment that have helped, that were starting cleaning jobs and are now doing cleaning jobs that could make them multimillionaires. So there is absolute big money in doing cleaning, but not the way I was doing it. Mm-hmm. So I realized I had to learn from people that knew how the, the road works. I had to have better mentorship. I had to understand how the country worked for myself by exploring everything against all of them. So I think it's the self-determination, the knowing that you are made for better. Mm-hmm. All that together I, is what I think is the driving force behind uh, my, my, my own passion in anything that I do. 
Absolutely, absolutely. I think that's that's a superb story because you know what you've just said. I've, I I know a few people, and especially most of us that lived back in Africa before relocated here, people get stuck in those kind of jobs. I'm not saying for a start, it's not okay for you to you know, start your life that way and then um, try to integrate into the system. But most people tend to remain there. Most people yeah. tend to not to look out and say, what is better for me to do? And they just say, as long as I'm feeding myself, I'm paying my bills, I'm fine. And people just remain there for 10, 15 years of their life. And before you know, it's too late. And there are opportunities because you're doing that job and there's nothing, see, there's something in consistency. You're doing that, but you're doing a cleaning job or any job like that, any menial job for like a year, for like whatever. But then you now start looking at the people at the top. Look at the life you want to live for yourself. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, how did these people hire all of us? We are now, it was just five of us before. Now we are 10, now we are 20. Mm-hmm. This company is growing. How did they hire all of us? How can I be that company that is hired? So it's that type of thinking outside of the box. Yeah. Thinking about thinking bigger because... Like the, the, the best advice I've gotten from somebody so far is that it takes the exact same effort to think small than, and it is to think big. Yeah. It's just your own mindset mm-hmm. because we all have the same 24 hours. Mm-hmm. We all have the same issues of, oh, childcare, this, uh, it's not unique to anybody. But what is unique is your own mindset and how you think. So if you've already thought that, okay, this is it, this is my comfort zone, this is all I can do, then good luck to you. But if you can think that, just think about it for a moment. This person has got the same head. <laughs> They've got the same opportunity, but they've just chosen to think differently and use it in a different way. Why not emulate whatever they're doing so that it can actually then work for you? So that's kind of like the way I think. Absolutely. Brilliant. Brilliant. Of course, you've mentioned that you starting in Venbury was born out of the fact that um, your wedding, the challenges you went through to try to get the kind of wedding you wanted and you, you spotted the gap in, you know, in the industry. So when you then spotted the gap, how did you um, build that tech behind it? Did you have to use, do you code yourself? Did you have to outsource developers? How did you do it? So, okay. So I have a, my brother, my younger brother, Damilola, is the CTO of Evenbury. Okay. So while growing up and um, my brother was, he went, so his story is also interesting and he actually combines how Evenbury was built as well. So he went into a private university and was studying chemical engineering. And then he told me, oh, my sister, I don't think I, I like what I'm doing here. I don't think I understand it. I think I'm born for computer science. And for him to change to computer science, he has to lose like a year. And I'm like, a year is nothing. I'm even glad that you're saying this right now. So he lost a year and he moved to a different university and became and learned computer science. He did other courses around it. Now he's a full stack developer and he's now my partner in Eventbrite. So basically he's a co-founder of Eventbrite and he's a CTO. So he is the technical head of Eventbrite in terms of the technology side, how we pretty much code and everything. But for me, what I do is... Over the years, I've learned the act of design. Mm-hmm. So I can take um, SketchUp, I can take, uh, what's it called, Adobe Photoshop, and I can sketch out the things that I want. And I can use my user experience and my product and my product owner kind of experience that I've done so far to be able to say, this is the user journey that I want. 
this is how I want this is at every step these are the workflows that should happen yeah and based on that they just need to take that and be able to code that in to be able to to, to happen so in order for you to build something like Eventbrite there are so many type of people you are going to need you need a UX designer so you yourself you need to have your own vision if you are if you are lucky to have a an analytical mind like I do then you are able to map the things out the way you want it. Mm-hmm. And all it then takes is for someone that is a professional designer to take that and do the and make the designs beautiful. Mm-hmm. You then have a front-end designer that then takes that, put that into HTML and be able to make the, the uh, what looks beautiful and static clickable. Yeah. So when it comes clickable, your idea is coming to life. Is you're looking at okay, all right, now this is this is something we can start to test the way users are going to like it. We do a bit of usability testing to see what the user's thoughts are around what we are building because there's no point in building things that people do not like. Yeah. Once we have all that, we then have the back-end guys then go and code it and then you have the mobile-specific guys using the different languages to actually then code. So for me, it's a mixture of um, myself and um, my brother, who's Dami, are the people that built the first version of Eventbrite. However, we are moving to the next version of Eventbrite, which then means that we now need additional resources to ensure that we're able to build that properly and build something a bit more robust. Absolutely, absolutely. So you go, you going into the world of startup entrepreneur, were there any, I know you're a very determined person, you go for it when you've got it go. So was there any fear of, oh, I'm going into this, what if it doesn't work? What, what if this happened? Did you have any fears going into, you know, stepping out to say, I want to do the world of startup? For Eventbrite, no. For other, and, that, and I think the, the reason is, is that I failed in the past. This is not, and um, if there was, while in Harvard, there was one particular article that we read and we had to do like a, a mini project on it. It was called The Failure Tolerant Leader. And in there, I learned that you celebrate your failures as much as your successes provided you are taking the notes of why you failed and it's not repeated because your next failure is going to be bigger and then it will then lead to your success. So for me, I've done different types of businesses. Some have been successful. Some has been, uh, how do I put it, failed woefully. Some I have learned some things that, oh, okay, Tommy, you probably shouldn't have done this. Some I have exited in the middle. So with that, I pretty much have eliminated what is the worst case scenario? I will beat myself more if I don't do this than if I do it and fail. So I'm going out there, stepping out. And yeah, there are days where you hear some sort of news and it kind of hits you like, oh gosh, how do I come out of this and stuff like that. But if you surround yourself with positive thinking people and you go out there and you realize that you are not alone for everybody that has made it out there, it was never easy. Mm-hmm. So it's not unique to you. You just need to pay your dues by waiting now. What makes you be able to stand the test of time is weighing through that um, difficult moment mm-hmm. and making sure they are taking the right decisions and, and those and standing by your decisions. So if there are things that, okay, you've made the wrong decision, then you know, okay, I've made the wrong decision. I move two steps back, but I'll keep moving forward. So yeah, there are days and trying to just emulate what other people are doing in terms of people that I want to, um, I like what they're doing and I want to be able to be what they are based on the things that they've done. And I have people for different mentors for different aspects. 
So I have some people that for sales, this is the go-to person. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not doing well in this sale. What am I doing wrong? I need to go watch some brand card on so I can guess what I'm doing. Yeah. Right now I'm, I'm not being proactive. I need to be more proactive. I need male rubbings in my life to keep me so I can do what I need to do. I, I, I'm not productive. I need to be productive. I need Andy Fustella to be able to kick me so I know what. Those are kind of things that I use together to bring myself into those sort of days that are looking bad because I know it's not unique to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I, I, I really do like your, like your spirit because obviously as an entrepreneur, it's not going to be good news every day. You're going to have days that you're going to say, oh God, what do we need? But you need to have that ability to say, when things are not going right, I need to move forward. I need to move forward. What is the next plan? What is the next plan? So how do you see the event industry? How big do you see it in the UK? The event industry is big and it's just growing bigger. That's the issue. And um, according to um, a, a report I read while doing my feasibility study on this, Mm-hmm. Just the corporate event industry alone had over £42.5 billion um, pounds was, spent wow. in, was spent in this industry in 2016. And so far, there are over 1.3 million um, events happening in the UK every single year, at least. That's, that's what the statistics says. There are about 25,000 people within this industry that are servicing this industry. And there are over 530,000 jobs out there in this industry. So it's a huge, huge industry. And that's just the corporate. When you come to the private industry, there's over 39 billion being spent a year in the UK. And the average size of a wedding is now about 36,000. There are over 265 weddings every single day in the UK. So this is such a big industry. And what's it called? One, two, three, four, five apps cannot even do it alone because it's a, the, it's a, it's the, the way the consumer now thinks everybody wants to spend their time doing better things. So if you can give them a way in which they, you, you, you save them stress and you give them some time back, they will reciprocate, provided your service is good and your product is amazing. So I think that the event market is there for the taking, is big enough and is, a, is something that it's not even unique to the UK. It's available all around the world. There are events happening every single place. I was shocked when I saw um, the statistics in Nigeria for 2014, and I'm even sure that statistics is wrong going by our record. But it feels that they spend an average of five billion naira on weddings. I'm not going to be surprised. I'm yeah, not surprised. So exactly. I'm like, and I've seen those weddings. Like some weddings I see, I'm like, is this Lagos? This is incredible. So this is the, the event world is out there and people are, every little thing right now is an event. A little webinar is an event. Uh, anything, there's so much, so many events happening and it's just the, 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 the prediction is it just needs to keep going up because that's the way we connect. That's the way we do business. That's the way face-to-face happens now. It's like in a collective group. So events, the industry is big and it's huge. Thank you for listening to part one of the Africa Emerging Podcast with our guest on the show. I hope you enjoyed the show like I did. The concluding part of this conversation will be available in the next two weeks. Watch out. Please like Africa Emerging on Facebook. 
follow us on Twitter and Instagram. If you haven't done so yet, don't forget to subscribe and download this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play and Overcast. Like, share and review. Your feedback is extremely important to me. It will help me improve content provided on the show. Thank you for listening to the show. Spread the word on how Africans are changing the world. It's time to build the African continent. Subscribe to our newsletter on africaemerging.com.